I remember it's been over 25 years ago. Uh, we, I just had started coming to the church, and and there were Sunday evening services, and then they discontinued the Sunday evening service, and the Bible study concept came, and that was a great opportunity for uh, me to get to meet other people. It's more personal, and you you can get to know people uh, in a much more intimate way by sharing your life, by sharing your prayer requests, by sharing your families with each other. Um, and so you don't, you don't just like on Sunday mornings, you see them, you say hi, and that's about it. Um, you can actually ask specific questions, you know, how's so-and-so doing or how's this going in your life? Um, it's, to me, it's just much more personal. And then there's different levels of spiritual maturity in the group. And uh, if you're a new Christian, then we can, you know, really work to help you have a plan to improve. And, and also, if you're a mature Christian, you can come alongside someone who is less uh, mature and help them in that process. So it's very good for every different level of, of spirituality that's involved. And, so uh, I've developed many, many friendships through the years by, by going to that. And I think it's so important to be in the Word and to be studying the Word. And um, being in a small group uh, environment, you have, um, as we mentioned before, a lot of different levels of maturity. And so it. It's just a great avenue for spiritual growth, being vulnerable, uh, willing to open up and share the things that are going on in your life and uh, pray for each other and encourage each other. And um, it just, it helps when you do come back together on Sunday. Because you come on Sunday morning and you hear the word but to really dig into the Word is gives you an opportunity to do that in the Bible study. We're getting into the Word. Um, so we, that is our goal, is to learn what the truth is. Um, and the scripture is the best way uh, to learn that. Those people in that group were my prayer partners and that really helped me through some difficult times. And so I would encourage everyone to get involved in a, in a Bible study discipleship group. It's it's really some of the best times that you'll have. You have some accountability to um, to study, to grow, um, and learn. To me, that's just priceless. We um, You learn so much being in a Bible study in a small group setting, um, just sharing your heart. Man, thank you, and uh, it's good to see you this morning, church. Good to have all of you here today, and um, discipleship is a, a big part of who we are here at Grace. It's an opportunity for you to get involved, and just like uh, was shared on the video by Brent and Sharon, it's, it's, it's a time of intimacy in the Word and prayer and just fellowship together, because we all uh, who are in Christ are on a journey, and um, all of our journeys look a little different. Same Lord... Same gospel, different journeys. We have a lot of different things going on in our lives. And, 
And so I just encourage you to be, be involved in that. And um, we will um, soon enough have some sign-ups uh, sign for you and um, different choices for you to be able to make uh, for this fall. We, we encourage all of you to be involved. Um, in your bulletin, there is uh, one more week. Today we were going to run the survey that we've done. Uh, that we put together, and um, we had some good response. So I encourage you, if you didn't have an opportunity to fill out the small group form, please do that. That really helps us in determining uh, how we move forward. And so we just really appreciate those of you who can be involved in that. I also want to make mention, um, last week we talked a little bit about um, the uh, elder deacon selection, and that's through the month of July. I had several uh, questions in terms of you know, how long would we run that as far as nominations? And so if you're a member here at Grace and you wanted to nominate uh, someone for uh, the position of elder and deacon, you have through the month of July to do that. And I encourage you, as I said last week, to do that. It's very, very important that uh, we have continued leadership here at Grace. And we have a bunch of great men that, that lead, but we, um, we're always looking to see who the Lord uh, is working in, and that's the issue. Who's he working in that might be um, helpful to us as we continue along in the Lord's work? I wanted to um, give you this morning something for your consideration. Um, it's a quote by a man named J.C. Ryle. J.C. Ryle lived from 1816 to 1900, so just a few years ago. Um, but he was the first bishop of Liverpool, England. He was a prolific writer. And one of the best books that he has is a book entitled Holiness. A tremendous, tremendous book. And um, he just points you to Christ. I mean, that's what he does in the book. All through the book, he's pointing you to Christ. Pointing you to the one who saved you, right? Pointing you to the one who not only saved you, but desires that you would live holy. And I really like this uh, particular section uh, this morning. I just want to read to you. It says, True holiness is much more than tears and sighs and bodily excitement and a quickened pulse and a passionate feeling of attachment to our own favorite teachers and preachers and a readiness to quarrel with everyone who does not agree with us. Well, you know, there's a lot wrapped up just into those few statements. And sometimes, you know, we can get to a point in the Christian life where, uh, where we're thinking too much about that emotional aspect. You know, our emotions are driving us. And, you know, emotions, they can lie to us. Uh, that's where I love the, the difference between being subjective and objective. You know, for me, sometimes my emotions lead me into wrong areas. You ever have that happen to you? Wrong thinking, wrong actions. But the Word of God's not going to do that. The Word of God is objective. It's going to give to us what we need for our everyday lives. He says, it is something of the image of Christ, meaning true holiness. True holiness is something of the image of Christ, and I like this, which can be seen and observed by others in our life and habits and character. And if you're in Christ today, who changed you? Christ did. Christ changed your life. And so as we grow in relationship to Christ, um, I think it's important to distinguish between um, the Holy Spirit working in my life and continuing to separate me into holiness versus the efforts of man. It's the Holy Spirit that needs to work in us and through us, and he's always doing that. That's what the Bible says, that he who began the good work in us will continue to perfect it until the day of Christ. So I just wanted you to consider that this morning 
um, as we've come together uh, to worship the Lord. So why don't we bow? Uh, I'll have you stand and let's bow and let's have a word of prayer uh, together. Lord, it's a wonderful truth that your word tells us that if we are in Christ, we are new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. It's Christ in us. And so I just thank you so much for the victory that we can have each day in the Christian life, um, depending on the Spirit of God working in us and through us. Um, help it not to be, Lord, uh, each day about our own efforts, our own ideas, our own thoughts, but help us to embrace each day your word. Help us to eat your word daily. Um, as much as we enjoy physical nutrition, and we do, we're definitely a culture that enjoys that, help us to enjoy the spiritual nutrition that can come from taking your word and reading it each day, and meditating on it each day. And um, Lord, for, the, for just the privilege of being able to come to you uh, every day, and being able to lay everything down at your feet, whether it's small or whether it's great, whatever it is, Lord, you're an amazing God. You desire more intimacy with us daily. And that comes through us getting in your word. And spending time with you and seeing all the many blessings that we have just in knowing you, Lord. And I pray that this morning that all of us here are prepared and ready to worship you as we do that through song, as we do that through the study of your word. I, we, Lord, we just want you to be honored because that's what it's about. We want you to be glorified. And so I pray that our hearts are prepared and ready this morning to receive what you have for us. And help us to be an encouragement to those that are alongside of us today. And for all these things, uh, we pray and, and ask your blessing in the name of Christ. Amen. The choir's about to sing a number, and I felt like it needed a little explanation, or else you're kind of wondering what it's about, but it comes from Isaiah 35. And it is a song, it's not necessarily for today, but it's for the future. And scholars have had problems wondering if it's for prophecy way back then, but there's no doubt about it, it's for the future. It's for the, the time when the Lord is going to set himself up as king, and we're going to, as believers in the Lord Jesus, we're going to enjoy being a part of his rule and his reign. It's kind of messy today, wouldn't you say? <laughs> uh, but the Lord is going to be king. He is the king of glory. And I'd like for us just to look at that, verse of, that passage of Scripture in Isaiah uh, 35. And I'll tell you what, let's just all read it together, may we? The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with a vengeance and divine retribution. He will come to save you. 
Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there. No ravenous beast. They will not be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued with return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. And all God's people said, Amen. That's what we have to look forward to as believers. I want you to listen to the words of the choir as they sing, Your God will come.
Thank you, choir. I feel like I'm uh, about to sing a solo. Can you hear me? Yes, yes. All right, take your Bibles and go to Second Peter. You always have to be teachable as a pastor, and uh, you're always learning. There's not ever a time where you're not. There was a pastor who went on a visitation, and he had several older congregants, and he shows up at this little old lady's home, and she has him in, and he sits there, and he's kind of a younger pastor, and there's a lot to learn, and so as he's visiting with her, um, she asked if he'd like a cup of water, and he said, yeah, I'd love one. And so he's sitting there, he notices there's some peanuts there on the table. And so as they're visiting, he just starts taking some peanuts, and he's eating them, and by the time he get to, toward the end of the visit, he looks at her, and he says, ma'am, I'm sorry, I, I feel like I've about eaten all your peanuts, and she said, Oh, that's all right. I've already got all the use out of my need. I sucked the chocolate off a few days ago. Yeah, buddy. You better ask. All right. Well, we're back in Second Peter. And um, this morning, uh, I think as you and I go through this, you're going to find that the question that needs to be answered uh, for you and for me is, are we on the right road? You know, it's interesting how the Lord works things out. The song uh, that we sung just before that, Ron's read through Isaiah, and it says, the way of holiness. And I'm like, hey, that just really fits because as Scripture tells us, there's two roads. There's the narrow road and there's the wide road. And you know, the Bible says that few are on the narrow road. That's, that's kind of uh, sobering when you think about it. Few are on that right road. And, um, and I think that that's something for all of us to consider. You know, what road are you on? Do you know that you're on the narrow road which leads to life? Or are you on the wide road that leads to destruction? And some answers may be as follows. Well, I come to church at Grace, so I'm on the right road, right? I mean, I give to Grace, I'm on the right road, aren't I? Uh, I attend Sunday school, I attend small group, aren't I? Don't those things make me on the right road? And the answer is no. And what makes one on the right road is a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ trusting in what he has done for you at the cross of Calvary. It's belief in him and belief in him only. Isn't that great? It's nothing in addition to that. It's not a long list of having to do this or not having to do that, but it is as Paul told the Philippian jailer when he asked, what must I do to be saved? He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, you and your household. So the issue is belief, but the question that I want us to consider as we talk about specifically a man named Balaam today, we're going to get to him shortly, but 
A person can look like they're on the right, right road and not be on the right road. So I think it's important for us to consider that. And it's interesting if you fill in the, the pages of Second Peter, then what you're going to find is that in the first chapter, he speaks about that personal growth issue. He's writing about that to these believers. You need to grow, you need to grow, you need to grow. So there's, the message is no different today, right? For us as Christians, we need to grow, grow, grow. And how do we grow? We grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. How do we do that through his word? How do we do that through prayer? So it's very critical that I spend that time with the Lord on a daily basis. And so that's kind of the overall viewpoint of chapter 1. And so we come to chapter 2. We go from a chapter of, of, of growth to a chapter of warning. Peter spends, man, he spends an inordinate amount of time talking about these guys, these false teachers, and you're like, really, by the time you get to the end of the chapter, you're like, man, I'm glad he's, he's done with that. He just wore that subject out. Right? It kind of reminds me of the news media at times where they'll take a subject and just wear on it for days and days and days, and you're like, stop. And you're kind of like that with Second Peter too. You're like, hey, Peter, we get it. But you know, remember what we discussed several weeks ago? He's a shepherd. He's a shepherd over God's flock, over God's church. And being a shepherd, there is responsibility. And that responsibility doesn't come from another man. That responsibility originates with the chief shepherd who is God. And so, like, sometimes, maybe you can relate to this, you know, you're sitting, in the, sitting there as an audience going, man, why do we have to go over this verse by verse by verse? By? And you're like, maybe you don't get it. But I can tell you this. It's imperative that we go over it verse by verse by verse. Because, because, listen, just as there were in Peter's day false teachers who lure people into traps right, promises that they, that are not from God, they're, they're here today, they're out there, and they want to trap you, they want to bait you, they want to lure you in to their web, and I know the mind of some people at times is, ah, that can never happen to me, but it can, it can happen to you. If we're not grounded in the word of God, if we're not standing on the truth of the gospel, if we're not ambassadors, right, it can happen. So, this morning as we come to the second chapter, we're continuing on in Peter's description of these false teachers. And um, to this point, we've talked about their arrogance, right? Their attitude is one of arrogance. Um, we looked at that in verses uh, 10 through uh, 13a, and then we began to uh, focus on their behavior. And their behavior, in one word, godless. It's godless behavior. Well, what does the Lord want from his church? The Lord wants from his church holiness, holy behavior. Um, how does that come about? I, I don't believe it comes about with a punch list of do's and don'ts. I believe holiness as a believer comes about as I understand more and more and more my relationship with Christ and what he's done for me where the focal point is Christ. It's not on I can do this and I can't do that. It's not on a list of do's and don'ts, but it's on, hey, I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away. All things are new. I'm different. Where before, my attitude was always arrogant. Now, 
hey, with the help of the Holy Spirit, I can be humble. Right? And so it's the Spirit of God that's working in you. I trust that's true, that you know Christ as your Savior and that your desire is holiness. That's what it was as Peter wrote the first letter to this audience. He says, obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, who set you apart, be holy. And all your, yourselves and all your behavior, all, right? Just underline that, circle that. Because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. So the measurement of holiness is the Lord. He is the one that is holy, holy, holy. And so it's an awesome thought of what God wants for his church. And it does kind of look like that Mount Everest in our lives. Right? How, but, but here's the thing, guys. You climb Mount Everest, what? One step at a time. And the Christian life, I don't know about you, but it's been this way in my life. The Lord is working on me, and it seems like in some areas over and over and over again. And sometimes I feel like I'm just taking baby steps, but the reality is that God is growing me deeper in him. My understanding of him. And that's really what the issue is for you and me as believers in Christ. Well, then we came to the second part and we talked about their godless behavior. Just a few things in relationship to their godless behavior that we've seen to this point. The text has revealed to us in 13b through up to 15, they are a shameful presence at love feasts. Love feasts were designed to be where believers got together and they enjoyed one another's fellowship and they enjoyed remembering Christ and the cross. It was just, it was about believers being together. But these guys are interrupting that. The Bible tells us they're a shameful presence at love feast. The second thing is they continually focus on sexual sin. Their focus is just sex. You just want to put it like that, that's what it is. They can't get their minds off of sex. I tell you what, you look in our culture today, it certainly seems like that as a culture, does it not? I mean, it's almost like every show that's on TV, there's this sexual, it's sexually driven. It's every magazine that you see, right? It's, it's the phones, it's everywhere. You know what? God created sex. Did you know that? And it was designed to be between yeah, a husband and a wife. Wow, that's a revelation to the world, isn't it? A man and a woman. But that's the way God designed it to be. And I think sometimes we treat it like, ooh, we don't need to talk about that. We do need to talk about that. We need to talk about it. The church needs to know the right way. Right? The right way is God's way. The right way is not man's way. So we need to understand that. Well, these guys have a continual focus on sex. And the Bible says, thirdly, they lure others into their lifestyle. We talked about that. They uh, not only are trapped themselves, but they're trying to trap others into that lifestyle. And then lastly, we saw, look in verse 14 of 2 Peter. Look what it says there, verse 14 of 2 Peter. He says, having eyes full of adultery and that never cease from sin. <laughs> That's, wow, what a description. When you look at that, you might go, you know that, I struggle. Well, here's the difference. In the context of the passage, the description here is of a lifestyle. They're constantly, constantly, constantly sinning with their eyes. Hey, guys, I got great news for you. Whether you're a man or a woman and you're in Christ, there may be times where you struggle, but you know what there is in your life now that there wasn't before? 
victory. Do you know that? There's victory. Now I have to do what that little song right reminds me of when I was a kid. Be careful, little eyes what you see and hands what you touch and feet where you go and all that. And so I have to be careful. But these guys are characterized in their lifestyle as one of just constantly sinning with their eyes. Notice in this last part, this is what we want to focus on because this is where the example is today that we look at in Balaam. Having a heart trained in greed. These people are greedy. Now, it's not going to take you long to figure out just by watching television. Right, you could probably pick out some of these guys that we're talking about in our culture today where their focus is money. Money, money, money. In fact, a lot of them, they stand in front of their congregations and they have a whole lot of money. And they got the big, big, big house. And they got lots and lots of cars. And they got lots and lots of boats. And they got all these things. And you know what they're telling their congregation? Hey, you can have that. In fact, that's God's will for you. Whoa. You know, you walk in, you have some of those guys walk into a service like we have today, and they'd be, what are you doing? Listen to me. Believers, we have more than any big, big house could offer. We have more than any, all the boats, right? I don't even like riding them anyway. Every time I'm in a boat, I'm scared, right? We, all, the, the, all the cars, all the, it doesn't matter. We have the blessing of being in Christ. We have all the blessings that Paul lays out in the book of Ephesians in chapter 1. So these guys, are, the Bible says, have a heart trained in greed. We get our word gymnasium from that. I mean, they're actually trained in that. And they're luring people in. And listen, you tell me, isn't it true? How many times have you turned on the television and you passed through some of those stations where some of those health, wealth, and prosperity theology guys are teaching and you look at the television and you go, I feel sorry for those people that are sitting there. I've always wondered this in some of those congregations that are thousands and thousands and thousands. Is there not just one dude that's sitting out there going, this is a bunch of baloney? Just one. Well, Peter goes on to describe him this way. Look, verse 15. He says, they have forsaken the right way. He says, forsaking the right way, they have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, Balaam the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but he received a rebuke for his own transgression. For a dumb, meaning speechless, donkey, Speaking with the voice of a man restrained or hindered the madness of the prophet. I need to find some terms before I get you to turn to numbers because this is a really incredible story. First of all, these guys, as, as Peter continues, he says they're forsaking the right way. Now, just so you'll have this, forsaking is in the present tense. And it means this, they are choosing to continually abandon the right way. Now, he's talking about these false teachers. They're choosing to continually abandon the right way. It's a volitional choice, which means this, they have a knowledge of the right way. And I think that's confirmed as we go on in the text, as we'll see in the next couple of weeks. They have a knowledge of the right way, 
But they're continually abandoning the right way. They're choosing to do so. As I wrote there, it's an act of deliberate intent to abandon the right way. You know, that's true all the time for false teachers. It's true some of the time for maybe you and me, where we intentionally abandon the right way. You ever done that? Intentionally abandon the right way? Am I the only one guilty in this place? Right, I can know, man, God, you tell me this, but today, God, you know what? It's about me. I'm going to do it this way. Right? I mean, listen, that, that, that temptation is always there for believers to rebel against the Lord. These guys are continually, continually abandoning the right way. And it's interesting that Peter, if you remember, and I know you do because you have great memories, back in verse 2, says, and many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of the truth will be maligned or blasphemed. There is the way of the truth, right? And we're on that road if we belong to Christ. So, in this context, false teachers were continually and willfully abandoning the right way. So I thought about that. I thought, you know what? That makes, um, it made me think about my life and how I end my life, how that ends. Can I talk about that just for one second? It matters how we end life. Right? When, you remember with that day when you came to Christ and you trusted him as your savior and, and, and then you were so excited and, and then, you, then you came to church. And, and you started doing that. <laughs> right? That was perfect timing. You came to church and you started doing the church thing. Whatever that is. Right? And you remember when you first got saved, all that excitement and, 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 and right? And, and man, I'm really ready to learn. And, 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 and you come to church and hopefully you're doing that. But sometimes, right? Sometimes on that road, right? We can get off the path. We can get off the trail. And... We're not like these false teachers. They're continually abandoning the right way. But for you and me, we know the way. It's the way of truth. It's the way of truth. And so he says, first of all, of them, they're forsaking, they're forsaking the right way. And then it says, they've gone astray. Notice this, this next phrase. They've gone astray. That word gone astray is interesting. I had to mention this because it's important for you to know this. You're not going to see it just reading it. The word is in the passive voice. Now, that doesn't maybe mean a whole lot to you, but it's important. It's in the passive voice, meaning they have been misled. These false teachers have been misled by an outside force. When I got to thinking about that, I was like, oh, I got to read this to you guys to remind you of how that happens. And you don't need to turn there, but you can write it down. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. There is the enemy. The Bible says, and if... Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Now listen to this. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. The God of this world is who? Satan. Satan is the God of this world. He has blinded the minds of the unbelieving that they might not see the light of the gospel for the glory of Christ who is the image of God. So these false teachers are being misled by an outside force, we know ultimately that is the enemy. 
There's also, as John talks about it in 1 John chapter 2, there's the world, the flesh, there's the lust of the eyes, there's the pride of life. So these guys are being led astray by an outside force. Ultimately, that is the enemy, Satan. Um, Secondly, you notice there it says the word is also present tense, indicating that they were continually being led astray. They were continually being led astray. I find this interesting too. But not only were they continually being led astray, but they were doing the same to others. They were doing the same to others. In fact, we just read it back up in verse 2. And many will follow their sensuality. They're being led astray, and they're leading others astray. So we have to be careful. We have to be aware. Um, The word gone astray also has um, a, a physical meaning to it. It's not just spiritual, but it describes one who wanders off. As, as I read that, I thought, that's a pretty good picture. Because um, when we're, uh, when we're uh, watching our kids as parents, sometimes our kids, what? They, they wander off. And we want to keep them from wandering off. And you know what happens to us as we get older, even like really old? Um, sometimes even really old people, what? They wander off. These guys, the Bible says are continually wandering off the right way. They have gone astray, according to Peter. And then it says, next phrase, having followed the way of Balaam. Having followed the way of Balaam. Now that word, having followed, describes those in close pursuance of some, someone or something. The Greek word actually has the picture of of um, someone sticking to another like glue. <laughs> That's kind of interesting, right? So, so the, the picture here is of these false teachers sticking like glue to the way of Balaam. What in the world is that? Right, you read that and you go, well, all right, I know the story about Balaam. What do you remember the most about the story of Balaam? The donkey. But do you know there's much more to that story than a donkey? I want you to take your Bibles and go to Numbers in the 22nd chapter. Why does he use, Peter, use the illustration of Balaam? Guys, we could spend all afternoon talking about this. There is so much information about Balaam. Did you know that? Did you know that Balaam is mentioned more than the mother of Jesus in the Bible? Did you know that Balaam is mentioned more than almost all of the apostles? It's like, okay, well, we better pay attention to this guy. And I believe that's exactly why the Lord had Peter use him as an example. We better pay attention. Because, listen, not only, not only are people wandering off today following the way of Balaam, which is the way of greed and immorality and all those things, But it was happening back here in Numbers. Balaam, Balaam was the example here that Peter uses. Now I want you to go back to Numbers 22. And in the context of Numbers 22, I told you to turn there and I didn't do it. In the context of Numbers 22, this is the Israelites toward the end of their wandering. All right, That's, that's the context. They're toward the end of their wandering and they're conquering all the ites before they enter into the land. 
And they're doing so because the Lord's on their side. Do you understand that? The Lord's on their side. That's, what, that's why that's happening. We come to chapter 22, and verse 1 says, Then the sons of Israel journeyed and camped in the plains of Moab beyond the Jordan opposite Jericho. Now Balak, the son of Sippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. So Moab was in great fear because of the people. Verse 3, for they were numerous. And Moab was in dread of the sons of Israel. You know, if Balak had done his homework, right, he would have known what Deuteronomy tells us. And then the Lord said to me, same author, right? Moses wrote the first five books. Then the Lord said to me, Do not harass Moab, nor provoke them to war, for I will not give you any of their land as a possession. I have given R to the sons of Lot as a possession. But, obviously, Balak had no awareness of that. Balaam had no awareness of that. But, the Bible tells us it was true. And look at verse 4. And Moab said to the elders of Midian, and so there's, there's this joining of forces together, it says, said to the elders of Midian, now this horde, referring to these people, this assembly, Israel, will lick up all that is around us as the ox licks up the grass of the field. You know, some phrases in the Bible I just have to research. That was one of them. I was like, okay. He's saying that this horde, Israel, will lick up all that is around us as the ox licks up the grass of the field. Do you know how much an ox can consume a day in grass? Anyone? Anyone? Uh, 40 pounds. Oh, wow, that's right. It's a lot. So, hey, listen. Balak, Balak is like, hey, this is the problem that we have on our hands. And Balak, the son of Zippor, was king of Moab at the time. Verse 5. So he sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor, at Pather, which is near the river Euphrates, likely, in the land of the sons of his people, Mesopotamia, as you'll see in just a few moments, to call him, saying, Behold, a people came out of Egypt. Behold, they covered the surface of the land, and they are living opposite me. Do you know for Balak to make this effort to get Balaam, that would have required a journey of about over 300 miles up to 400 miles. And so the question, right, as you're studying, as I was studying, I was like, well, how did, how did Balak even know this dude? Right? Well, I think we got some, at least a little bit of hint here. Notice this. Verse 6. Now, therefore, please come, curse this people for me, since they are too mighty for me. So his reputation, Balaam's reputation, is what? Man, he's pretty famous. For what? Well, we're going to see it. He says, Now therefore, please come curse this people for me, since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I may be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. Now look at the, here it is. For I know that he whom you bless is what? Bless. And he whom you curse is cursed. That was the word on Balaam. That's who he was. Balak knew it. How? I have no idea. You have an idea? I got no idea. But his reputation is there. 
Verse 7 says, So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the fees for divination in their hand. And they came to Balaam and repeated Balak's words to him. Look at verse 8. And he said to them, Spend the night here, and I will bring word back to you as the Lord may speak to me. The leaders of Moab stayed with Balaam. Now this is very important to get this. Verse 9, Then God said to Balaam, Who are these men with you? And that's not like God didn't know. Right? But he's wanting Balaam's response, and Balaam gives it to him. Balaam said to God, Balak the son of Sippor, king of Moab, has sent word to me. Behold, there is a people who came out of Egypt, and they covered the surface of the land. They're everywhere. Now come, curse them for me. Perhaps I may be able to fight against them and drive them out. So Balak's got a problem, right? And he wants to get rid of the problem. And so he's come to Balaam. Now notice verse 12. And God said to Balaam, Do not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. So he says three things to Balaam. Do not go with them, number one. Number two, you shall not curse the people. And number three, he says they're blessed. Right? You see three things there? I see three. Well, here's what Balaam does. So, so Balaam rose in the morning and said to Balak's leaders, Go back to your land, for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. A little bit short of what God said. True or false? True. God had a little more to say. By the way, just so you know, because as we're going to talk about here, we're going to see some things, we're going to go, wow, okay, what's God doing? God's perfect will is stated right there in verse 12. I want you to keep that in mind. And Balaam arose in the morning and said to Balak's leaders, go back to your land, for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. The leaders of Moab arose and went to Balak and said, Balaam refused to come with us. That's all they knew. (laughs) And then Balak again sent leaders, more numerous and more distinguished than the former. He's a dude that just won't take no for an answer. You ever run up against those kind of folks? Right? Won't take no for an answer. Hey, look, it's going to be my way. Well, you have to remember, I mean, Balak, he's a king. He's got a lot to look after. He's got a lot on the line. And so maybe he sent his B team first. But now he sends the A team. The A team's coming in. That's what it says. Then Balak again sent leaders more numerous and more distinguished than the former. Uh Uh-oh. Things have been wrapped up a notch. And they came to Balaam and said to him, Thus says Balak, the son of Zippor, Now look at this. Let nothing, I beg you, hinder you from coming to me. Whatever it is. Hey, look, there's nothing. You need to come to me. I got something for you to do. For I indeed... Now, look at this. He tells him two things. He tells him he's going to fill his pockets, and he talks to him about power. That's what it says. It says, For indeed, I will indeed honor you richly. I'm going to fill your pockets. Now, you know, that part I was like, yeah, I mean, you know, that's, the, the, that's, that's what Balak could do for Balaam but the second part kind of struck me too he says I will indeed honor you richly I'm going to fill your pockets notice what he says though this is the king saying this I will do whatever you say to me that's a pretty big deal isn't it I thought Balak was the king he is the king 
How bad does he want these guys who are camping across from him out? Bad. Well, how bad? He's willing to fill Balaam's pockets and willing to give him power, and then he says, please come then, curse this people for me. Got to give it to Balak. He has a one-track mind. Verse 18. And Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, now when you read this, you go, man, that's that a boy. Way to go, Balaam. Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could, do, I could not do anything either small or great contrary to the command of the Lord my God. Isn't it interesting the way Balaam words that? I don't know about you, but I'm just one of those guys, when I'm looking at every phrase, I'm going, well, yeah, Balak said he would fill his pockets, but Balaam seems to have a suggestion, maybe. Maybe. Right? He says, though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold. Right? Give it all. Right? He says, I could not do anything, either small or great, contrary to the command of the Lord my God. And we're like, whoa. That's a pretty strong statement. Is it not? Verse 19. And now please. Now this is a big, 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 big Mistake that Balaam makes. Now please, you stay here tonight. Uh Uh-oh. And I will find out what else the Lord will speak to me. He's already spoken to him. (laughs) He's already told him, hadn't he? I mean, if you're looking at the language back up in verse 12, crystal clear. What else would there be to say? You know, I wrote down in my margin, don't let evil linger. That's just the first thing that came to my mind. Don't let evil linger. Um, and sometimes even we do that. We let it linger. Well, you know there's a warning about that in the Bible. Here it is. Can you read that? I can barely read that. Can you read that? Look at this. Warning about deceivers in the context of Second John. Look what he says. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. For many, you know, you just almost get to that word, not man, many? Yeah, many. Many deceivers have gone out into the world. Guys, listen to me. There are many deceivers in the world today. Just as there were many deceivers in the world of Balak, and many deceivers, right, coming ahead of us. The Bible tells us that. Those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves that you might not lose what we uh, have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide, I need glasses, and the teaching, I have them on, but it's for here. And the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. And you're like, okay, Thad, what's that got to do with this? Well, there you go. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him, what? In your house. Balaam, did he already have an answer from God? Answer, yeah. What else are you going to God for? Change his mind? Well... Look at this. Do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting for the one who gives him a greeting participates 
in his evil deeds. That's a warning for us. Well, Balaam, the Bible tells us, he says, stay the night. I will find out what else the Lord will speak to me. Verse 20, and God came to Balaam at night and said to him, if the men have come to call you, if the men come call you, rise up and go with them, but only the word which I will speak to you shall you do. And you're like, okay, the Lord changed his mind. No, he didn't change his mind. The Lord didn't change his mind. Question. I'll answer that little argument real quick. Question. Has God given to us as the church his will for us as a church? Answer, yes. His perfect will is in this book. Sometimes, though, the Lord allows us to go down the wrong road, doesn't he? He permits it. Sometimes he does. And that's exactly what's going on here in Numbers 22. Balaam's got a couple of things going on. Notice it says, verse 20, If the men have come to call you, rise up and go with them, but only the word which I speak to you shall you do. Um, Balaam looked pretty, pretty ready to go, didn't he? Look at verse 21. Balaam arose in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the leaders of Moab. So you come to this point, and you're like, okay, I mean, Balaam seems to be a pretty all right guy. I mean, he, he, he's saying the right things. Now listen to me. <laughs> oh, this is good. The false teachers appear to say all the what? Right things. You have to be real discerning when you're watching those TV guys. You do. In fact, one of the, the most difficult ones to discern, I think, is Joel Osteen. Very difficult. Because you're like, you watch it and you go, well, he has a lot of good things to say. Well, you know what? He does. But littered in among the things that are quote-unquote good that he has to say are two things that really bother me. Number one... He takes scripture out of context all the time. All the time. And number two, he's a health, wealth, and prosperity theology guy. That's at the root of who he is. That's who he is. And so the warning here for us is clear, right? The warning for us is clear. Balaam has invited these guys to stay the night. Hey, maybe God will tell me something different. Well, you and I don't know. We wouldn't know. If, we, if the story ended there, we wouldn't know the heart necessarily of Balaam, but God does. I want to show you a passage of Scripture, and, and, and um, this is in Deuteronomy. Remember, same author. Because as you come to the story where the donkey's involved with Balaam, you could be like, well, this guy seems all right, but there's more to Balaam than just what we've seen here. Notice what it says. No Ammonite or Moabite shall enter the assembly of the Lord... None of their descendants, even to the tenth generation, shall enter, ever enter the assembly of the Lord because they did not meet you with food and water on the way you came out of Egypt. Look at number two. And because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor, from Pather of Mesopotamia to curse you, nevertheless the Lord your God was not willing to listen to Balaam, but the Lord your God loves you. Well, what's the heart of Balaam? The Lord knows the heart of Balaam. And it's one of greed. He was about himself. The latter verses indicate that. Look at verse 22 of Numbers 22. Here it is. Balaam's heart. God knew that. 
Look at verse 22. But God was angry because he was going. And the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary, whether it's an angel or the, or the second person, the Trinity. I mean, there's an argument there. I think it's, I think it's the pre-incarnate Christ myself. The angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him. And now he was riding on his donkey. Now, this is the funny part of the story, right? And a lot of attention is given to this. But, man, you've got to read those first 21 verses to put it in context. Now, he's riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, the donkey turned off from the way and went into the field. But Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back into the way. Don't you find that verse kind of striking? When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, hello? What's wrong with Balaam? He should have been seeing the angel of the Lord. I have a suggestion. My suggestion is that that's not where the mind of Balaam was. I think the mind of Balaam was on cursing the people of Israel and getting his pockets filled and having power. I mean, how many of you, that sounds good, doesn't it? Sounds good. So the angel of the Lord is seen by the donkey. Verse 24, Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path of the vineyards, with a wall on this side and a wall on that side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, hello again, when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, that just strikes me, she pressed herself to the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall, so he struck her again. Right? From Balaam's perspective, this dumb donkey. But... Wow, it's the other way around, isn't it? This dumb Balaam. And the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn to the right hand or to the left. Verse 27, And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, (laughs) that's three times here, when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. So Balaam was angry and struck the donkey with a stick. He's mad. Why? Where is his mind? His mind's on Balak in the offer. That's where his mind is. Now look at this. Now this is the part that, wow. Remember, there's a couple of servants there. It'd been interesting to know what they really saw. Did they, you know, I don't know. That's interesting. The Lord opened the mouth of the donkey. Okay. And she said to Balaam, you know what's striking about this? It doesn't seem to even phase Balaam that the donkey's speaking. <laughs> if your dog starts speaking to you, call me. <laughs> we can almost pray and go home on that. We're almost done. The Lord opened the mouth of the donkey and she said, she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you struck me these three times? Then Balaam said to the donkey, Because you have made a mockery of me. (laughs) Boy, who's who's the one that looks like the fool here? If there had been a sword in my hand, I would have killed you by now. The donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey on which you have ridden all your life to this day? Doesn't tell us how long, but apparently a while. Have I ever been accustomed to you to do so? Excuse me, have I ever been accustomed to do so to you? And he said, no. He went the way, typically, where Balaam wanted to go. Now this had to be, 
I can't even imagine this scene, but here it is. Then the Lord opened. Isn't it interesting, a couple of things here. The Lord does, the Lord does, right? It's the Lord. <laughs> the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam. And he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and he bowed all the way to the ground. The angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out as an adversary. That's a strong word in the Hebrew. Because your way was contrary to me. There it is. Your way was contrary to me. Listen to me. Any way that is not the way of the Lord is contrary to the Lord. Are you listening to me? Anyway, because your way was contrary to me, but the donkey saw me. <laughs> That's funny to me. The donkey saw me and turned aside from me these three times. Now notice this. If she had not turned aside from me, I would surely have killed you just now and let her live. Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. So man, you're going, hey. So what makes it confusing when you come to 2 Peter's like, why does Peter use Balaam as an example? And you get here and you go, hey, hold on a second. Maybe there's been a transformation with Balaam. He says, for I did not know that you were standing in the way against me. Now then, if it is displeasing to you, I will turn back. But the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with the men, but you shall speak only the word which I shall tell you. So Balaam went along with the leaders of Balak. You look at that story and you're like, wow, is that it? I mean, here you got a guy who wants to get rid of all these folks, these Israelites, God's people, and God's clearly told Balaam, nope, that's not going to happen. And then you have come to the point where God uses what was meant for evil for good. Do you know that? Do you know the rest of the story? Well, let me share three things with you about the rest of the story. Because the way of Balaam, the error of Balaam, the doctrine of Balaam are all revealed in the New Testament to us from 2 Peter to Jude to Revelation. And there's three things about this story that you need to know. First of all, or four things. First of all, the Bible tells us in 2 Peter that these false teachers loved, or excuse me, they loved the wages of unrighteousness just like Balaam did. Balaam loved the wages of unrighteousness. That was true on the part of these false teachers. That word loved, I like the way Kenneth Weiss puts it. He says, this is a love called out of one's heart by the preciousness of the object loved. Well, the object loved for these false teachers is themselves. And they love the wages of unrighteousness. They love making the dollar. They're going to make the dollar. It's all about them and satisfying their quote-unquote flesh. Well, it's interesting that um, not only was this descriptive of the false teachers, but it was of Balaam as well. He loved the wages of unrighteousness. There's another person, I wanted to mention this before we get done today. There's another person in the New Testament who is not following the way of the Lord. And, he, and there's a warning here given to us by Paul in 2 Timothy. And what's interesting is that word love that's there, it's the same word that's used in 2 Peter 
uh, chapter 2, as he's used in 2 Timothy 4. The same word, Demas, it says of Demas, Paul wrote, Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me. So, the false teachers loved the wages of unrighteousness. Balaam loved the wages of unrighteousness. Demas loved the present world. And so, as you come to the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say, here it is. Did you know that God used Balaam to prophesy? Blessing? <laughs> now, what did Balak want him for? Cursing. God used him for blessing. Blessing the sons of Israel. In fact, there's four different prophecies that are mentioned. And you can go home this afternoon and read them. But one of those prophecies, the third prophecy, this is very interesting to me, focused on the coming Messiah and the blessings he would bring to Israel and to the nations. Wow. When you read that in light of the full context, it's just wow. God uses, listen, God uses different people to accomplish his purposes. And sometimes we have to stand back and go, Okay, Lord, I don't get it. He used Pharaoh, did he not? He used Nebuchadnezzar, did he not? You ever read the story of Nebuchadnezzar? So God uses unregenerate people and regenerate people to accomplish his purposes. Acts tells us he used unregenerate men to put his son on the cross. So the rest of the story, as you'll go through in chapters 23 and 24, you'll read about the prophecies. You can do that this afternoon. The second part of the story is deceit. Balaam was a deceitful man. How do we know that? Well, Revelation tells us. Also, Numbers 25 and Numbers 31, the chapters. But look what it says in Revelation. Jesus is saying this uh, to Pergamum, to the church of Pergamum. He says, but I have a few things against you because you, you have there some who hold the teaching of Balaam. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? Wow, I mean, this dude is mentioned over and over again. Who hold to the teaching of Balaam. Who kept, now look at this, here's the rest of the story, because you come to 22, you're like, okay, he recognizes his sin, he's like, oh, you know, hey, look, I need to walk away from that, I can only say the things that the Lord's given me to say, but here's the rest of the story. If you go to Numbers 25 and 31, they reveal the same things that are mentioned here. Balaam put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, look at this, to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit, commit acts of immorality. Balaam didn't stop. But did you know there's a price for that? There was a price for his deceit. Death. But death on two levels. Can I tell you what happened? You go to chapter 25 of Numbers. You know how many sons of Israel were killed that day? Because of the acts of immorality? The Bible tells us in Numbers chapter 25, 24,000. But, that, but chapter 31 tells us Balaam as well. Look at this. And they killed, the sons of Israel killed the kings of Midian. They also killed Balaam, the son of Beor, with the sword. You know, you look at the false teachers today in the landscape and you go, man, they sure look like they're very successful and that looks really good and really promising. And, and man, that, that looks like a road that, that's 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 it's just something I want. But at the end of that road is death. Just like at the end of the road for Balaam was death. 
The end of the road. And do you know it's interesting? The end of the road for these false teachers mentioned in Second Peter, over and over again, you know what the word Peter uses? Destruction. At the end of the road, guys, is destruction. But for you and me, if we're in Christ, the end of the road here for us is what? Eternal life with Jesus Christ the Lord. There's a lot to learn from Balaam. Which road are you heading down? Are you heading down that narrow road? That's the way of holiness. That's the way of the Lord. That's the way of righteousness. Or are you heading down the wide road that leads to destruction? Let's pray together. Lord, we just want to thank you this morning for the example that you've given us and the person of Balaam. When you look at the story, there's a lot there, a lot of different thoughts and so much to consider. And certainly on the surface, this guy seemed to be all right. Um, but he had a heart of greed. He was about himself and about promoting himself. And Lord, what's interesting is that you took this man who was heading down a road that was opposed to you and you used him to even prophesy the coming of the Messiah. So Lord, I think the lesson for us with Balaam, there's a couple of things we need to consider. We need to consider what road we're heading down. And we need to be warned about the road of destruction that so many in this culture, unfortunately, it breaks my heart, unfortunately they're buying into the lies. Lord, there's nothing wrong with us having money. You give it to us. We're just to be good stewards of it. Lord, it's not to be an idol in our lives. We're not to love it. There's a lot of things about that that we need to consider. Um, we thank you for providing for us. We thank you for all the blessings that we have. As we look at the church in America today, man, we have a lot in comparison to the world. Lord, I pray those things would not be hindrances to us as we walk each day. That we wouldn't worship the things or the money, that we wouldn't be greedy folks. Lord, but that we would be content Christians. That no matter what circumstance we find ourselves in, we would be content. And that we would take the warning that you gave through Peter to these believers, that we would take the warning seriously because as Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 3, there, these evil people are proceeding from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And so Lord, I pray that would just make us stay attached to your word. Thank you for the examples you give us in scripture that warn us of the wrong ways. Help us to stay on the right path, that we might honor you in all that we do. In the name of Christ, amen. Well, we all stand. Let's uh, close out today with, uh, with a song. Let's just sing this to the Lord, may we? My Jesus, my 
is none like you. All them my days, I want to praise the wonders of your mighty love. My comfort, my shelter, tower of refuge and strength, let every breath, all that I am, never cease to worship you. Shout to the Lord, all the earth, let us sing. Power and majesty, praise to the King. Mountains bow down and the seas will roar at the sound of your name. I sing for joy at the work of your hands. Forever I'll love you, forever I'll stand. Nothing compares to the promise I have in you. My Jesus, my Savior, Lord, there is none like you. All of my days I want to praise the wonders of your mind. Tower of refuge and strength, let every breath, all that I am, never cease to worship you. Shout to the Lord, all the earth, let us sing, power and majesty, praise to the King. Mountains bow down and the seas will roar. At the sound of your name, I sing for joy at the work of your hands. Forever I'll love you, forever I'll stand. Nothing compares to the promise I have in you. Nothing compares to the promise I have. Nothing compares to the promise I have in you. Man, thank you, Ron. I wanted to leave you guys with um, some scripture. I started out in the message asking, uh, telling us this morning that um, the Lord knows our heart. He knows it better than anyone. He knew Balaam's heart, and he knows ours. The Bible tells us the word of God is piercing. Listen to this. Hebrews, the author says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. right? I mean, that's what was going on there with Balaam. There is no creature, no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him 
with whom we have to do. That's a very sobering thought. The Lord knows everything about you and everything about me, just like he knew everything about Balaam. And just like the Lord knows every, every heart of the, of the teachers today that we would label as false teachers. You know, guys, I wish it was different. I wish everybody was committed to the gospel. I wish everybody was committed to standing on the word of God. But they're not. And so we're called to do something that probably is uncomfortable for a lot of us. We're called to be discerning. We're called to be watchers. We're called to be aware. So I pray that that will resonate in your heart today as we close in prayer. Let's close. Lord, some of us are just defenders. It's how you made us. It's who we are. Can't help it. Somebody says something against our kids, we're defending them, probably no matter what's being said. Um, we're defenders when we're at work, when we're in school, we're just that way, and, and it's comfortable for us, which is just how you've made some of us. And For some of us, being a defender is difficult because um, we're just not made that way. But Lord, it was obvious when Peter wrote this long chapter about false teachers, he didn't give any of these believers an excuse not to pay attention. He just wanted them to pay attention. Be aware, because he loved them. Lord, I want to tell you, I love you. And I, love, I love the sheep here at Grace. And Lord, my heart and desire is to defend. And I pray, Lord, that, that I would do that with humility of heart, depending on you. And I pray that we would all do that. We would be defenders of the truth, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because as Jesus said, I am the way, and the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. And if there's one here today, Lord, that does not know you, I pray that today could be the day of salvation, where they believe on Jesus Christ as their Savior. So dismiss us now and help us as we fellowship and go to our homes in Christ's name. Amen. You're dismissed.